We're concluding our series, Comeback Season, and uh, we really believe this, this is a prophetic opportunity for you in any area that the enemy has taken something from you, that life has taken something from you for you to get it back. How many, how many could say that I could probably think of a thing or two that I need to take back from the enemy? We're, we're taking it back. This is comeback season. So Acts chapter 13, verse 36 has been our text for this series. It says, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Now we'll stop this right here. We've been meditating on this scripture, and it means this. David didn't die until he'd fulfilled his purpose, which tells us something, that as long as there's breath in our lungs, there's purpose in our life. This is good news for every single person. We've been doing it all series. Just take a deep breath. As long as you can do that, got good news for you. You're in comeback season. If there's breath in your lungs, there's purpose in your life. If there's breath in your lungs, then God still has a plan. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, no matter how bleak your circumstances look, no matter how tense your family situation is, this is comeback season, and we're declaring that any area that the enemy has tried to take from us, we are taking it, we're taking it back. We're taking it back. In the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 22. There's another story. We've been pulling uh, our messages from the character David uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 says this. Now, I'll pause just for a second before I read. It always takes me a little while to get through the scripture because the, the, the scripture is so powerful. You have to be careful that you don't read the, read the scripture so fast that you miss hidden treasures that are there right in front of us. It, it, it's incredible. In the Old Testament, there's all kinds of typology. There's prophetic symbols. You can find Jesus in every single book of the Old Testament. It's, in, it's incredible. It says, as David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Okay, so like for all the preachers in the room, you could just stop right there and, and you can just like meditate on that. He, he left someplace to escape to a cave. That's somebody's message right there. If, you, if you're a preacher in the room, you can take that right there. Go teach it next week. They left something, they escaped to something, and they found themselves in a cave. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there, and all those who were in distress, those who were, who were in debt or discontented, gathered around him. I'm just going to tell you, if you're trying to build a kingdom, these are probably not the people you're looking for, but that's what David had to work with. And he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? That's really cool. What I will learn, what, you know discovering God's will is a process? This might set somebody free because discovering God's will, learning, it's a process. So you don't have to feel bad about not knowing everything every, like right, right now. I don't know the rest of my next 30 years. I don't have my next five-year plan lined out. It's all right. David even learned what God would do for him. So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, now listen to this, do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. Do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. I'm going to tell you what life will attempt to do. Life will attempt you to retreat to places of caves 
and will get you to try to find safety in strongholds that keep you from your destiny. It's easier to stay in a safe place than it is to advance into a place of risk or into a place of faith. Pain, trauma, difficulty, pandemics, politics, economics, these things, health issues, these things will get you to retreat in places of safety or places of comfort. In, in, in the text, the country was in a really bad place. King Saul, who is the king at that time, who's the first king of Israel, he's ruling, and he has heard that King David, who would be the next king, King David had been anointed king. King David would take Saul's place, and Saul knew it. So King Saul was wreaking havoc on anyone that was connected to David. He was making sure that anybody that was connected to David would pay, and he was looking for David so that he would kill him. So this is, this is where we are, and it says King David retreated to a cave. So he's in the cave of Adullam, which is interesting because Adullam actually means refuse, like garbage. So he went to a place of the cave for refuge, but it actually meant refuse. It meant garbage, and he went there for safety. You know what I found to be true is that when life comes at us in certain ways, where it hits us, where there's a downturn, where there's opposition, oftentimes we'll take safety in places that we shouldn't stay. Or we'll find our emotions stuck at places or in caves where they should not stay. There's trauma that happens in your life and you're stuck in a place that you were meant to go through. The Bible doesn't deny that we will go through trouble, we'll go through difficulty, that we'll go through crisis. In fact, Psalm 23 says, yea, though I walk, oh, through, I walk through it. In 2021, we teach, yea, though I lay down in it. But in the Bible, it says, yea, though I walk through it. That doesn't mean I won't encounter pain. I won't have difficulty. It means that God has prepared a way out for me, no matter how discouraging, no matter how depressing, no matter how difficult the season that I'm in, God will make a way to bring me through. So it's not that I avoid trouble. It's that I don't get stuck in trouble. And here is David in the cave, and uh, caves represent a place of retreat. It's a place of refuse or refuge. David went there to, he went there to save himself. And there gathered around him were everybody in debt, in distress, and discontented. You ever had a bad day and you meet somebody else having a bad day? And they want to tell you about their bad, you know what I'm saying? Like, man, I'm just having a bad day. Oh, yeah, wait till you hear about mine. It's like, that's David. He's in the cave like, this dude's coming from my life. And here comes the debtors. Here comes the ones in distress, and here comes the discontented ones. Like, really? Do you have no problem? Discontent? <laughs> David's running for his life. David's like, man, this is, this is tough times for me. He's like, you don't understand. I'm, I'm discontented. <laughs> all right. So they all gather up in the cave, hiding from King Saul. How you respond in a cave season determines whether your cave is a grave or a womb. How I respond in the difficulty of life determines if I die there or if something is birthed out of this. This difficulty can be a womb for me or it can be a grave for me. I think we all know people that have died in the place of difficulty, maybe not physically, but emotionally, maybe spiritually, maybe relationally. 
is that they died in the place of a setback, not understanding that how they respond to the setback changes my setback, my cave, from a grave to a womb. Matthew chapter 12, or John chapter 12, verse 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, Jesus is talking about this. He's actually speaking of himself, that he would go into the ground. He would die. He would die so that we could live, right? It's types and shadows of Jesus. He's talking. He's given us clues. But this also speaks to what's happening in our Old Testament story. A cave is a womb, not a grave. He says, unless the kernel of wheat goes into the cave or the ground, it's buried, it's covered, it dies what happens in a cave a lot of times our ego dies in the cave sometimes our self-interest die in the caves I mean you, you ever heard somebody you know maybe it's somebody young that really is passionate about business and they want to tell you and you've you've been through three bankruptcies you've bought, built four businesses you've bought and sold you've been in it for a long time and this young young whippersnapper wants to tell you well, if you would just Run it this way, right? And the, and the thing you're thinking is like, you haven't, you haven't been through what I've been through. You, you've got the vision for what I'm doing, but you've never felt the weight of what I'm doing. Pe- people, like to, people like to speak to things that they've never been a part of. People like to, it's like armchair quarterback, right? Like I'm pretty convinced that I could coach an NFL team to a Super Bowl because I watch them, you know, really closely. And I can tell a lot of things from my couch. But it's different. It's different on the field than it is on my couch. This is, this is how some of us live our lives. It's, it's, it's we compare these things and we really don't understand other people's difficulties or problems if we've never been through those things. The cave is an opportunity for growth if you allow it to do its work. Sometimes those downturns are the thing that you, the times that you die to your pride, to your ego, once you've been, I mean, I, I used to criticize other pastors so much when I first started pastoring. Oh, man, it's like, why aren't they doing this? Well, they should just do this. Man, why don't they teach this? Why don't they do this? Look at how you, and, until you've actually been through some battles. And now anybody, I'm like, ah, oh, he's probably got a reason. <laughs> poor, poor guy. He's, I'm just praying for him. I just, I had a guy recently that, that he used to always give me constructive criticism about uh, how, to, how to run the church, and uh, he was just my buddy, you know, just always there after every service, just encouraging me on how I can change and grow, and how I can preach better, and how I could do more, and how the church could increase, and I mean, he's just, I mean, we're, we were tight, and, uh, and then he went into ministry, and he came to me a couple months ago, and he says, uh, Pastor Dustin, he goes, I just wanted to apologize to you, I said, what for? He goes, I had no idea. You know, sometimes the cave strips us of some of those things, that entitlement, that ego, that comparison, some of that critical spirit, that judgmental attitude. It's, when you've been through it, all of a sudden now you've got grace for everybody. <laughs> Pastor Steve's famous for saving, I get, saying, I give much grace because I need much grace. It's like, hey, you need grace? Got to take it, man. This life is tough. There's a lot of caves out there. Caves out there. I, uh, I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks talking about comeback season, and it feels like everyone's, like, pumped up about it. Like, I like that. I like that. Everyone's like, man, comeback season, 47 ways to get your comeback. Ah, you know, everybody's jazzed, and we all leave, and we're clapping hands. And, and, I, and I realized this week that 
it is important to know how to get your comeback, but if you've only mastered how to get it, but you've never identified what kills it, you'll never apprehend it. And so I felt like it was important to look at the text and to look at the life of David and look at some things that got in the way of his comeback that are sure killers of your comeback because God can do everything for you, but you could kill your own comeback. God can prepare everything, position you, posture you, have it ready for you, but if you don't understand the things that will kill your comeback, you will self-annihilate the thing God has for you. So I was looking in this story, and, and I was thinking about David, and, and he goes to the cave, and, and the first killer of a comeback is despair. The, the, the fact that you need a comeback is because you've had some type of setback, right? If you never had difficulty, you would never need a comeback. So, so despair is actually a setup for a comeback, but it doesn't feel like it when you're in it. Despair does not feel like an opportunity for God to move. Despair feels like God left. This is how David feels. He's anointed by God to be the next king. Bishop T.D. Jakes would say it this way. He was anointed but not appointed. Which means he had the anointing but not the opportunity. So now he's anointed to be the next king. But King Saul says, not, not today, bro. He's hunting him down to kill him. So he has the anointing but no opportunity. And oftentimes when you recognize that you have a gift from God but you have no opportunity to use that gift, you can get discouraged and you can become distressed. And distress after distress will result in despair. How do you get to a place of despair that seems like a dark place? Distress after distress after distress. Stress. Psalm 59 was written one of the many times that, that we hear about that King Saul tried to kill King David. Most of the Psalms were written by David. Psalm 59, he said this in verse 14. He says, they return at evening. He's talking about his, his enemies. Snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. They wander about for food and howl if not satisfied. David is very clear about what he's feeling and what he's thinking about these people. I wouldn't like to be called a snarling dog, but David is, he feels free to just throw it out there. And then in verse 16, something shifts. And he says, but I will sing of your strength. In the morning, I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress. You are my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. Now, I think this is really interesting because some people in Christian circles believe it's wrong to ever experience despair. It's not wrong to experience despair. David obviously experienced despair. He writes Psalm 59, and he spends most of the psalm talking about the people attacking him. They're snarling like dogs. They're howling if they don't get their fill. I mean, he is descriptive in his writing. Most Christian circles say, you shouldn't talk about that, but just praise God. Well, I'm just praising God. I just, nothing's wrong. Everything's cool. Everything. And then we have fake Christianity. We have fake people with fake faith, with fake smiles, with... There's no authenticity or real relationship when everybody's being fake. David is the master in authenticity. He's like, these guys are crazy, <sighs> snarling like dog. He goes, but, see, most people are one or the other. I'm either going to praise God and deny my feeling, or I'm going to live in my feeling and deny God. 
David lives in the middle in the tension of in between. And he says, I recognize that it's difficult. I recognize that this is unfair, but I will sing of the Lord. I will talk about how I can rely on him and how strong he is. This is the key to walk out of despair. Despair will kill your comeback if you don't realize and recognize the way to deal with despair is not to deny that it's there, but to acknowledge it and then to move through it. Begin to take steps to move forward. David found, we learned this in, in part one, David found strength in the Lord his God. The second comeback killer is one that gets a little heavy for a second, so I'm sorry, but it's division. Division, die vision, means two visions. Die vision. The Bible teaches us this, a house divided against itself. Actually, I'll read it to you. It says, it says this, Matthew 12, 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Wow. Will not stand. Talking about every kingdom that's divided, die vision. Now think about this. David, he has he, he, he is set in his heart that he will honor Saul. He has set in his heart that he will not strike back. Saul tries to kill him. David will not kill David. David will not try to kill Saul. David is there. All these men gather around him, those in debt, distressed, discontented. They're gathered around him, and they gathered around the same cause, but they had a different method. So they said, yeah, David, we're with you. We don't, we're, we're with you. We believe in you being king. And then they said, and let's kill Saul. Now there's die vision. But David wouldn't let his comeback be eliminated with division and said he would not lift his hand against King Saul. If he had not led boldly, he could have ruined his own comeback and maybe even violated his own legacy and destiny of God using him to be king. But he led in the midst of division. You, you, you got to be careful about the things that divide you. Actually, Paul was really clear about this in the New Testament. And, and, and you know how gentle Paul is. It's a joke. He's not gentle. If, if Paul were here right now, y'all be, better buckle up. Paul did not put up with division. This, this is how he speaks to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. I can't address you as people who live by the Spirit. But as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. How would you like that? Some of you that are announcing yourself as apostle and prophet, and Paul says, I'm going to call you infant. <laughs> that was Paul. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not, wait a second, what is the deciding factor of division? Because there's jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? 
Paul goes on throughout the New Testament in his letter to the churches attacking division. In fact, he goes so far as to say, if you are with someone who's causing division, you should disassociate with that person. That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, in 2021, we just like, we put up with everything. It's like, yeah, cool, whatever you believe, whatever you think. Paul would have been walking through the church. He might have been doing house visits. Excuse me, what you've been teaching from the book of YouTube is factually incorrect. It's heresy, and you will not teach it any longer. As Paul, Paul would have been cleaning house. He would have been offending people right and left. Because that, we, you didn't get to just decide like, hey, I'm just here and this is my truth. Or I'm here and this is my thoughts on it. Paul's like, no, it's false doctrine. We only adhere to the gospel that Jesus gave us. That's the... So Paul gives us two things throughout 1 Corinthians that he says, this is the reason that there's division among you. The first one he gives us is worldliness. So he says, he says, you have the philosophy of the world. Now, I, I want to I be gentle, but I also want to be very direct. If you're getting your philosophy from the world, you are misrepresenting the philosophy that comes from the word. The Bible teaches us, do not conform to the pattern of this world. It is very clear over and over again about the difficulty and the temptation of drawing our our philosophies from the world. He says, this is why there's division among you. Is because the Bible, the word, the law is not central in your life. You have become worldly. Stuff like, for us, would be like the Bible is not the inspired word of God. That Jesus isn't the savior of the world. That marriage isn't between a man and a woman. That on and on and on and on and on. And we say, well, no, if you, you, I wish sometimes the Bible said different things. But it is what it is. It says what it says, and he said, this is why there's division, two visions, is because you have a worldly philosophy. The second thing he says, which gets even more personal, he says, it's because you are full of your flesh. He says, which is your carnal nature, which is self. So I want you to think about this. Every time you've ever got offended, which is probably nobody here, probably somebody watching online. uh, (laughs) Think about this. Did you ever get offended in like the best times of your life? Just think about it like, man, you just love God. You love his people. You love pastor. You love the music. You love the volume. You love the, uh, everything. And you're like, I'm offended. No, you, get it, you usually get offended in despair. Despair usually leads to division. Because it's in those times of despair that you, this is what Paul says, he says, it's when you get in your flesh, you start asking, how does this affect me? Did you know the church was not built for you? The church wasn't built for me. The church was built to advance his kingdom. In fact, he says that he's building his church. We, we mess it up all the time, but he's building his church. We put our stuff and opinions and preferences on it all the time, but the church isn't about our preferences. The church isn't about what we like and what we don't like. The church is about him. It's about the good news of Jesus. It's about encountering the power of his Holy Spirit. It's about reaching our world. 
I just, I just had a birthday and um, getting older, you know, and I started thinking about this. When I turned 75, okay, 75, a couple years from now, and uh, when, I, when I turned 75, I'm wondering what my boys will be doing in church. And I started thinking, do you think they're going to like the songs I like? Do you think they're going to like the style I like? Who should determine it? Me, who've seasoned believer, been pastoring for nigh upon a five decades at this point, or my whippersnapper sons, right, who are 30 and wild. I don't know. I hope that, I hope that I'm not so inward focused that I can see them advance even if the preference is not to my taste. That I want them to be serving Jesus. I never want my preference to get in the way of his mission. Because whenever my preference is getting in the way of God's mission, it's me in the way itself. And this is where division comes in. So I, I don't want to be a part of any division. I don't want, I had, a, I had somebody came and talked to me, this is years ago, and uh, he said, he goes, Pastor, I, I don't know what the deal is. He said, everybody gossips to me. He goes, it's just, I don't know, I just draw people like this. Like, like everybody's telling me the business. It's like, I don't even want to know. And, and, and I, told, I told him, I said, in, in love, I said, well, there's a reason they tell you. Nobody tells me that. I, nobody goes and tells Pastor Steve that. Because you have become a safe place to air frustrations and offense that cause division. You, well, what am I supposed to do? Cut them off? Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> Why would you let that? Well, I don't, I don't want to offend them. Well, they're offending you. Like, put, draw a line in the sand. I won't tell you what Paul would say, right? We already went that. Paul, Paul, Paul would have just, yeah. And we won't do that. We're not there. We're not there. I'm talking about Paul. He was crazy. He was unhinged. He was wild. We, have to be, we got to be careful that there's no places of division in our heart because it's the surest thing to kill your comeback. Which leads us to the last one is if there's despair, there's oftentimes division. If there's division, it oftentimes is traced back to a place of dishonor. It just gets worse, right? It's like, wow, I like the other messages better. D dis dishonor. Dishonor. You know what's interesting is in the text, if you continue to read through 1 Samuel, is Saul makes an attempt on David's life over and over and over again. One time, David is in a different cave, and he's hiding, and Saul comes in, the Bible says, to relieve himself. Okay, it's in the Bible, it's okay. And so, while Saul's there, David's like creeping up on him. <laughs> Full ninja mode. And the Bible says he cuts a piece of his robe off. Do you know what kind of ninja mode you gotta be in? To sneak up on a man? It just, you gotta be sneaky, okay? And, and so David did. And, 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 and the people, the soldiers that were with him were mad at him because he didn't kill Saul. He's, he didn't kill him. He had the Now I want you to think about this for a second. Saul is evil. Saul is a bad man. Saul is a, going against God and against his plan. And David had a chance to take him out. It would have been seen as a righteous act. 
for him to do. And this is what David says. He says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. In other words, he says, I'm honoring that position, and I will not touch. And before we all say amen, hold on a second. He was, Saul's evil. Like he's a bad dude. He's leading the country in a bad way, into bad places. And David said, I will not. I will not. Whatever you dishonor, you close the door to receiving from. Whatever you honor, you open the door to receive from. If you don't honor God, you have shut the door to receive from him. If you don't honor your parents, you have shut the door to receive from them. If you don't honor your boss, you have shut the door to receive from them. Maybe the reason that you're not getting a promotion is that you always dishonor the people that you work for, and God has permanently shut the door of promotion for you because you dishonor wherever you go. Well, he didn't know what I was saying. God knows what you were saying, and dishonor has now shut the door to promotion in your life. If you would try honor... Wait a sec, but he's not honorable. We don't honor because people are honorable. We honor because we're honorable. We, we, honor, we honor our government because the Bible tells us to honor our government. We honor our law enforcement because the Bible says to honor our law enforcement. We honor and pray for our president, no matter who's there, no matter who's in the, we pray and we, get, and we declare the word of God because we are honorable. Now hold up right there. Think, think about David. The, the dude's trying to murder him. Soldiers are like, this is a, this is a really good chance. Just go ahead, David. Just, just I mean, he's, he's preoccupied. Just, yeah. End it! David says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Think about that reverence that he was living with and the awe and the fear of God that he had to not take advantage of a situation that was detrimental to his own life. Dishonor is an attitude. It's an attitude. The same way honor is an attitude. I think sometimes in the church we've kind of misrepresented honor. We think that honor is like accolades, or honor is affirmation, or honor is posting on Instagram. Or on- That's not honor. Honor is an attitude of the heart that says, I honor who they are. I honor the gift of God on their life, and I will not lift my hand or speak a word against them. You know what this really is? It's a practice of trust that God is working on our behalf. What did David have to do? You know what we would have said in 2021? We would have been like, oh, no one's going to keep Saul accountable? Seriously? He's just going to run around killing folk? He's just going to be, he can just do this? Who's going to stop him? Who's having a talk with him? Who's, you think Saul wanted to have a talk? He's out, he's out there murdering people. He's not trying to have a talk. You know what David had to say? He said, David, or David had to say, God, I trust you with the process, even though it looks like this evil man is getting away with evil things. David wasn't the justice for King Saul. David wasn't the vengeance of God to King Saul. God, God enacted vengeance. God enacted judgment. David's job was to honor. And in our culture today, we try to counterfeit honor by saying it's just acceptance. And so because, because we're just accept, no, it's called trusting. You know, I, I would rather, honestly, I'd rather be judged by you than God. I'd rather be punished by you than God. It's worse to leave somebody to God. We think we've got to control it. we got to do this. we got to, uh, uh, and, we, and we work ourselves up despair and division and dishonor and we assassinate the comeback that God has waiting for us 
And if we would do the opposite and we would rely on the Lord, we would stay unified in our faith and we would honor God and honor each other. Did you know that honor only works if it works every way? Sometimes in the the church world, you think honor is only up. Oh, we honor our pastors. We honor. If there's not honor coming back down, it's not honor. It's honor up. It's honor down. It's honor side to side. It's honor go. Jesus honored us. The Bible says that he did not consider equality with man something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. A servant. That's what Jesus did for us. He honored us. That honor went up to his father, but it went down to us. He honored us when he died. When he gave his life for me and for you. Honor has to go every way. It's interesting in the text. It says in verse 5, But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. If you've heard me preach very long, you know Judah means praise. I think this is very prophetic today, is that you don't have to stay where you are. Whether it's a good place, whether it's an average place, whether it's a terrible place, is that God's plan for you in this comeback season is to advance. In your business, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your family, in every single, in your spiritual gifts, in your opportunities, in your ministry, it's God's plan for you to advance. So the, the tendency would be to stay in the stronghold of safety or of comfort. But I believe this is the prophetic word of God to us today, is don't stay in the stronghold. Advance, what do we advance into? We advance into praise. We advance into, what is praise? Praise is telling God who he is. And it's not because he forgot. He's not like insecure. Insecure God, like, somebody praise me. It's like, oh Lord, you're beautiful. Really? Do you mean it? When we praise God, he says, they get it. They get it. They know who I am. That's a safe place for me to come and bring my blessing. That's a safe place for me to pour out my blessings on. Praise. Praise. I don't know if you know this or not. Praise is a weapon. Praise. The Bible teaches us. They used to send out in the battle. When Israel would go into battle, they would send out the worshipers first. Can you imagine that? They send out They send out a guy playing the harp. You know, he's just out there on the front lines of the battle. Just whatever a harp sounds like. That was, that was bad. I don't know why a harp sounded like a flute, but it, it did. It's just weird. They send the praisers first. I'm looking for a comeback. I'm looking for a comeback. God, it's not fair. Saul, the cave. Oh, no, I'm going to praise you. God, I'm gonna, I thank you that you are good even when it doesn't feel like you're good. I thank you that I can trust you even when it feels like I can't trust you. I thank you that you're my healer even when I feel this physical condition. I thank you that you're my deliverer even when I feel like I'm in bondage. I th- I pr- I'm telling him who he already is and God comes to praise like a magnet. When he hears praise, he co- it's an invitation to his power. It's an invitation to your comeback. It's an invitation to your breakthrough when he hears praise. Can I tell you something? Praise is vocal. I like those quiet churches the best. Praise is vocal. Comes out of your mouth. You know what I found to be true is when people get desperate enough, they always get loud. Sometimes life hasn't pushed you far enough in the cave 
for you to lift up a voice of desperation. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? She's moving, life had pushed her so far in desperation. She started making her way. Her desperation began to move her. Think about the blind men on the side of the road and everyone told them to shut up. And the Bible says they, they cried out all the louder. Their desperation caused them to do something. I know everybody in, in a room this size and so many people watching online, there's, there, there's so many different stories represented. Pain, of hurt, of difficulty, of despair, of distress, of loss. It, it's not that people don't have a valid reason to go to safe places. I'm just going to tell you that your destiny was never meant to end up in the grave of the cave. Your destiny is meant to move forward, to advance, to take ground, to make a difference in our culture, to make a difference in the cities and the communities that we live, to, make, to advance God's kingdom. And it's, you're not disqualified. It's not too late. You're not too far gone. It's not the time hasn't expired. If there's breath in your lungs, there's purpose in your life, come on, get your hope up, get your faith up, get your courage up. It is time to leave the stronghold of safe and move into the place of praise. Your praise is going to make a way for you.